Jesus Bible and Current Events from a Christian Perspective, Battling Spiritual Wickedness in High Places, One Podcast at a Time. This is the High Places Podcast. (sighs) Hi, this is Jim. I'm recovering from two nights of democratic debates. I'm worn out. I, uh, I postponed this uh, podcast a little bit because I wanted to uh, watch both debates. And uh, what I really wanted to see was uh, poll numbers from registered Democrats. Because after Wednesday night, I was so horrified by the things I heard. I was hoping uh, that, uh, well, yeah, these are the you know, pandering, media-focused candidates who are just trying to, uh, you know, appeal to the radical wing of the party and um, and the radical media that loves uh, the stuff they were spouting out about. But I, I wanted to think that, like, the Democrats who'd actually be voting would be terrified by any of this. Um, but I haven't seen those poll numbers yet. Uh, it probably takes a couple few days. Um, but there were some preliminary things. And, um, um, yeah, it seems like the, <laughs> the Marxist wing of the party, uh, which would be, uh, most of the party, um, uh, seemed to be very popular. Um, first on Wednesday night, so, uh, to save time, they decided to not let the candidates make opening statements. So, <laughs> what wound up happening is, the first question each candidate got, they simply ignored and gave their opening statements about, you know, their whole panoply of programs and things they, um, you know, want to advance. And so, that kind of wasted 10 or 15 minutes. So maybe next time, just let them do their opening statements. The other thing with these whole debates is they try to fit in like 20 different issues. And it's bad enough when they do that normally because you only get little soundbite responses that leave no room for in-depth conversation. But when you have 10 people trying to respond to all these things, they do what these folks wound up doing, which was cutting each other off and interrupting and talking over each other and trying to squeeze as much uh, unrelated stuff into every question or simply ignoring it. That was especially Wednesday night. They just like ignored the questions completely. Nobody, did anybody give a direct answer to any question? And the moderators, uh, surprisingly to their credit, um, asked some good questions and challenged them and even repeated the questions when people ignored and they still just ignored. So how well do you think these politicians are going to listen to you uh, once they get elected, if they got elected by ignoring questions they didn't like or subjects they didn't like, you think they're going to listen to anything you have to say? Come on. Um, so uh, really they should just, and they used to do this. And with as many debates as they have, I think they have like 20 of these scheduled or some ridiculous, or maybe 12 or something, but there's a lot scheduled. You could have one debate 
for one or two major subjects like healthcare or like, uh, you know, economic policy or, or foreign policy and give them time to actually discuss things because now all anybody gets are these sound bite bumper sticker responses to everything, which may be as much as any of these candidates want to give again, because they were pressed on details and it was this kind of you know, soaring rhetoric. Yeah, I'll give you this for free. Yeah, I'll give you that for free. Oh, you have a right for this free thing and you have a right for that free thing. And of course, nobody talked uh, at any length about how they're going to pay for any of it. Um, and Elizabeth Warren, boy, what a, I think she really missed an opportunity. Um, she talked a little bit about, I don't even want to use the word detail because I don't know if you could, you, <laughs> that that would be an appropriate term. She maybe got one layer deeper than the rest of the people, uh, in her debate, but she spent a lot of time with these sort of platitudes and this, this feigned outrage. They all did this kind of feigned outrage. They each wanted to show how upset they were with the current president. And how mad they were. It's, it's all this kind of, and you know, for as much as the millennials say they want authenticity, this is like the largest group of uh, inauthentic people I think I've ever seen. They all want to do their little personal stories because some marketing analyst told them that, you know, you have to connect emotionally with people and, and all this crazy stuff. Um, I remember a long time ago, like with the Olympics and that, they were trying to get more female viewers. And so they spent less time on sports and more time on these up close and personal stories. And then like the ratings of the Olympics fell, I think, because you watch the Olympics for athletics. But it's it's all this. Everybody had their personal story. So you know about people's parents now that died or their appendicitis last night. <laughs> Somebody is, you know, relative who had their appendix removed. I mean, it's like, wow. Okay. And the little tremoring voice thing, Kamala Harris has that, like, you know, tough as nails, but oh, I have a soft side. Little tremoring voice thing. It's like, wow. But Elizabeth Warren, if she would have, I am really shocked that, like, for every question, she just didn't answer it accurately. And, and, you know, bullet point one, two, three, four, here's what I'm going to do. Boom, boom, boom. Just straight out of her position papers. Um, and so while the rest of them were, you know, doing these platitudes, um, she could have been the one that had some gravitas, uh, but she fell for the, this whole thing, uh, as well, just, you know, promising this, that, and everything else and telling everybody how much they deserve all this free stuff. Um, and that was Wednesday night, and then last night, Thursday. Um, they seemed to talk a little bit more about, they weren't as bad as the people on Wednesday. They talked a little bit more about policy. But again, nobody's talking how they're going to pay for stuff. And each one of them had to take their turn saying how absolutely evil Donald Trump is. And it's like, does anybody in the Democrat Party not think that already anyway? So it's like, it, it, I mean, it's like, talk about preaching to the choir. Um, and they just spent an inordinate amount of time. Um, and the hyperbole was just really something. Um, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, Trump is like Darth Vader or something. I don't know. Um, and so, and so that's fine. Uh, you don't have to like the guy. Um, obviously they don't, but man, it was almost, 
to the point where it's like, okay, that's fine. We, we got the message that you don't like him and the people in your party don't like him. Got it. Thank you very much. I'll check that off my list. But how about you? So why should anybody like you? You know, what's your plan for anything? And nobody had any details. So my favorite, uh, I have any number of favorite ones, but one of the favorite ones is this healthcare stuff. So everybody now, apparently, in the Democrat Party is in favor of socialized medicine. The only question is, how do you get there? And some of them want to retain private insurance. But, um, and as one of them, I think it was um, um, uh, Gillibrand, last night talked about, you know, once people see there's a public option, Medicare, um, they're not going to want their private insurance. So even she acknowledges that once you have it out there, you're basically going to kill off private insurance, except for the very rich who don't want to wait months and months and months for treatment and have the money uh, to go ahead and buy private insurance so that they don't have to. They can go to, um, you know, the doctor they want, a doctor that will get fully uh, reimbursed. We'll talk about that in a second. But the Medicare uh, thing, uh, I mean, they're all on this um, government option. And so you it's just, you know, how do you manage to get there? Because as soon as there's a government option, uh, why would employers take on the expense? of buying insurance for their, uh, for their employees. Uh, what about unions? What's, what's the point of even negotiating that? If you're a union and you're trying to negotiate insurance in your contract, the employer you're negotiating with will go, no, we're not really interested in covering that. Let your, let your union members get the government insurance. So it pretty much wipes out private insurance except for the very rich. Uh, and so that industry will shrink. Um, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people will lose their jobs in the insurance industry. Uh, and it'll be smaller and it'll be a boutique industry. Uh, just like people who sell, you know, Bentleys and Rolls Royces. Uh, there are people that do that and make money doing that. And there's an industry around that, but it's significantly smaller, uh, than people who sell Toyotas, for example. So that's what you'll get there. And then the cost of this. There's so many things to say about the cost. First of all, and one of them touched on it last night, the reimbursement for Medicare is about 40% less than what doctors and hospitals get from insurance companies. So um, that means I worked in the health industry for a while. Um, and so that means doctors, basically, if it costs $100 for something, Medicare is only going to give them 60 for a Medicare patient. In fact, there was something, this was way back in 2016 even, but the American Hospital Association said that in 2015 that Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements to hospitals, this is just hospitals, totaled $57.8 billion below the hospital's actual cost. So forget profit margin, just covering your cost. It was $57.8 billion below cost. And one of the guys last night mentioned that, you know, all these hospitals are going to go out of business um, if they have to rely on Medicare reimbursement. Um, but they won't go out of business. What will happen is the government will come in and buy them up or support them. And so it isn't just government insurance 
Medicare, it's totally controlled government health care so that everybody's going to work for the government. Um, so if you're going into the medical profession, I mean, you know, go, next time you go to the doctor, go to your nurse and ask her or him if they're willing to take a 40% pay cut and if that would change their career choices um, because that's what's looming. And so even with the Medicare, uh, as they're talking about it now, which just projects out Medicare costs, not subsidizing all these hospitals and clinics and, and private practices that'll go broke. Um, already it's like what, $32 trillion over 10 years. So it's $3 trillion a year. The federal budget, I think is just a little over eight or a little over 4 trillion a year. So you're talking about like an 80% increase in the federal budget. I mean, that's extraordinary. And so it's funny because, you know, and Sanders mentioned this last night, well, you know, Canada has this, they're, all these other countries are able to do this. What they never, ever, ever talk about are the tax rates that people pay in these countries. So in Europe, uh, for example, I think they talked about, uh, I saw an article that talked about, you know, Scandinavian countries and the Netherlands and Belgium. A person there making the equivalent of 37000 U.S. dollars a year pays a 40% income tax rate. 40%. So you're making, what, $18.5 an hour at $37,000 uh, a year. $18.5 an hour. And you're going to lose 40% of that to income taxes. And then there's VAT tax, the value-added tax, which is basically like a, a national sales tax on everything you buy. So the tax rates, and then they talked about, I think the number I saw was people over in Europe that have these sorts of things. Um, if they're making like double the national income average, um, which in this country, I think it's like 55,000 a year is the average household income. So someone making like a hundred thousand dollars a year, they would pay 50%, 50% of their income, half, half. So if you have a two income household making a hundred thousand dollars, that's 50,000 a person, that's $25 an hour. You would lose half of that to income taxes, half. So. What these Marxists are proposing isn't being done anywhere in the world. Free medicine without the taxes to support them. At least the Europeans are taxing people to pay for this, and they're still running crazy deficits. Even the Chinese, even the Chinese that have government health care, one-third of medical costs in China are paid out of pocket by the patient. And so this thing that they're promising here isn't being done anywhere. And it isn't just um, American citizens. They want to give these health benefits to the citizens of other countries who are living here. Um, and so this is an interesting thing, too, because they all talked about immigration. And you have to look at it. So people have different opinions on immigration um, and all the things that go with that race and, um, you know, economics and environment, you know, where you're going to put all these people. Um, but as Christians and kind of looking toward the end times, one of the things to, one of the ways to view Im immigration is this whole notion of a one world government. Uh, you're seeing this in Europe 
um, with the, you know, with the war in Syria, you've had probably the largest migration of human beings in centuries, um, moving into Europe and elsewhere. And so this whole idea of erasing national borders, in fact, one of the moderators did it last night, and I heard somebody else talk about this too. One of them said, you know, that um, during the Obama administration, I think he was talking to Biden, that, you know, three million Americans were deported. <laughs> um, Americans weren't deported. Um, foreign nationals in this country illegally were deported. And so you kind of go, okay, he just, it was a slip of the tongue or something. But then I heard someone else talk about undocumented Americans, undocumented Americans. That's funny. Um, no, they're citizens of foreign countries. And so for all the, you know, hand wringing about foreigners interfering with our elections by posting things on social media because the politicians believe Americans are so stupid that if a stranger on Twitter says something, that's going to, you know, decide for people who they're going to vote for. But um, there are people in the Democrat Party and there are municipalities that have done this already. You have foreign citizens actually casting votes um, in elections, not just posting messages on Twitter and Facebook. So again, uh, whatever your opinion on immigration, when you look at this in terms of globalism and one world government, which is what the beast is going to be in charge of, you can see how this is coming together. Um, you can see politicians actively, actively pushing for this sort of thing. And it's all just, it's all just pandering. I, I mean, I'm amazed at, um, at how how much the Democrats have embraced this, um, this Marxist stuff, even Biden, you know, Biden had, boy, he looked terrible last night. Have you noticed he's slurring his, his speech? It's like his mouth can't keep up with what he's trying to say. He's just looking and sounding old. Um, so really, I think it's time for Christians to start making plans for how we're going to just survive. And so it's important that we can still speak and talk about the gospel. Um, it's also going to be important to figure out um, how we're just going to live. How are you going to get a job? What happens if you have to sign an employment agreement that says you'll promote all this LGBT stuff? Now, how are you going to get a job? What are you going to do for a living? What are you going to tell your kids to do for a living? So something to think about. Uh, thankfully, God will take care of us, uh, but all the more reason uh, to make sure that we are in the word, that we're talking to God every day, that we're seeking his guidance and direction on everything, because boy, oh boy, are we going to need it. Uh, we've always needed it, uh, but we've been comfortable uh, because we haven't been pressed on issues of faith uh, like we are going to be, like we are starting to be now, and like we are definitely going to be. So think about Christians in China Think about, uh, you know, underground Christians uh, back in the Soviet Union days. Um, what did they have to do to survive? God got them through. God kept people faithful. Um, and we're going to need him to help us. Um, because if the last two nights were any indication of where this country is going, um, it is going to embrace anti-Christian, anti-God values uh, as quickly as humanly possible. And, and with relish and affection 
and the open hostility to Christianity um, uh, will be unleashed. And so, um, as we've said it before, that's when the wheat and the chaff are going to be separated. Um, but the wheat needs to make sure that um, they are particularly dependent on God. Uh, we have to uh, be faithful and we have to make sure that he is the primary focus of every single day. Um, because more than ever, we are going to need him every single day. So, yeah, that's just a couple thoughts on that. Uh, take care, everybody. Uh, keep praying. Keep reading the word. Uh, be faithful, uh, even with all this coming up, because um, this is a test. This is our chance to rely on God. This is uh, our chance to glorify God uh, in persecution. And this is our chance to see what he does, that he is faithful that he can get us through this and that he is still sharing his gospel with others and has work for us to do in that area as well. So God is good. God is gracious. And we're going to see that all the more as these things start to unfold. So, uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, we'll speak again soon. God bless everyone. Good night.